Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Zoltan podcast. What a weekend we just had, the NFL draft. I think I haven't stopped thinking about football basically the last 100 hours straight, and I am joined by my good friend, Dynasty Jacobian, who I know has not stopped thinking about football for the last 100 hours straight. What's up, Jacob? You'd be surprised, man. I've been moving into my new place, and every time I'm on my phone checking Sleeper, my wife just starts yelling at me. She's like, we have things to do. We have things to do. I'm like, come on. Like This is rookie draft season. Give me some space. Let me do my thing. But, you know, we got to put shelving in. We got to build freaking dressers, the whole nine. So, you know, I'm happy to hop on here, talk about some rookies, have some me and you time, uh, do what we do, and um, chop it up. Yeah, man, I feel that. I I just moved into a new place as well, and uh, my fiance is equally annoyed that I am not helping quite as much as I should be. Uh, but you know, it's it's rookie draft season. This it's it's tough to uh, to take your mind off of it. I, I I'm in 18 rookie drafts at the moment. Um, have another you know 60 or so planned for the next few weeks. How many of you uh, kind of started so far? Uh, I have started or. I'm currently in or have completed 19. So I have about another 15 to go. Um, nice. Nice. Yeah. There we go. That That's a pretty good sample size. So uh, obviously for this podcast, Jacob and I are going to be diving deep into the rookie class, talk about our rankings, do a lot of discussion about trades and how to maneuver in and out of the draft. Um, Jacobian's a guy who doesn't typically go into the draft with too many picks, but he always ends up with a good amount of rookies. So he he'll give us a lot of good thoughts on, you know, what veterans you can trade for what areas of the draft, how to move up and down through different tiers. Um, and we'll touch on that and on a lot more throughout this, uh, you know, with our 40 drafts or so combined, we have a pretty good sense of the ADP um, as well as, you know, the good values in this class. Um, most of your leagues as well are uh, Dynasty Superflex, half tight and premium. Is that right? That's right. I don't do any one QB. So if there's any questions for that, I'm going to be totally useless. But yep, Superflex. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't do a whole lot of one QB either. Um, I do have rankings for both one QB, no tight end premium and full tight end premium. But my basis that we're going to be talking about today will be super flex half tight end premium. Um, so without further ado, let's get started. Why don't you tell me just right off the bat who your favorite value is in this year's class? Oh, hands down, it's Josh Downs. Um, you know, like I came into the whole rookie draft expecting Downs to be a second round pick. Um, yeah. I absolutely loved his separation ability, his speed. I, I viewed him as a complete player, a locket plus type. Um, he fell in the draft not too far uh, to the third round. Um, you know, that to me says a lot more about his size than his game. And I do like the landing spot. The only other receiver there is Michael Pittman. They just took Anthony Richardson fourth overall. So if if Anthony Richardson plays out, Josh Downs should be in a good situation. But currently he's going in the mid to late second round. And I think that's an overreaction to maybe a one round drop in the NFL draft. Uh, a lot of people had him as their wide receiver two or three coming out. Um, and everybody at that time was still expecting the Zay Flowers, the uh, Jordan Addison's of the world to get first round draft capital. And they did. Um but the drop downs as far as he has dropped, I think is an overcorrection. 
Yeah, I agree with that. And I was one of those people who had Josh Downs as my wide receiver too heading into the draft. But I was very much aware that after the draft, I would likely be moving him down to five, just given the fact that his draft capital would be significantly worse than, you know, the four guys going round one. You know, I, I was disappointed draft day, of course, that he fell to round three. And recent history of round three draft picks at wide receiver have not been very good. But all that aside, Josh Downs has an excellent analytical profile, even with him being drafted in the third round. He's still fourth in this class as far as my model goes. Um, he really shined when talking about his uh, receiving yards per team pass attempt in the 91st percentile. Um, he was just ultra productive at UNC. The, the issue with him, as you mentioned, is he's really a slot only guy. And that's not to say that he can't be a threat down the field. I mean, he was one of the best players, especially on slot fades last year. I think Matt Harmon from Reception Perception had him as the best contested catch receiver in this class, which is very impressive for a guy who's, you know, 5'9", 170. But he will be a slot-only player, which brings me to my next question for you. The Colts love to run the ball. They have a big offensive line that struggled a little bit last year, but should be better this year. They have Jonathan Taylor, and now they have Anthony Richardson who I expect to start, if not week one, at least by week, you know, three or four. So are you worried that Josh Downs isn't going to see the field a lot? And are you worried that he won't be a great fit for, you know, Richardson's game? So I, I, I'm going to push back on all of that, right? So we yeah. have a new we have a new head coach in Indy. We have a new quarterback in Indy. I don't really think we know what the Colts offense is going to look like, other than the fact that they have a great running back that it would be a shame if they don't use, right? So Anthony Richardson has a cannon. If they're going to build around this quarterback that they just drafted fourth overall, they should use that cannon. So a guy like Downs, who's going to be their best deep threat, he's faster than Pittman, um, I think could get a lot of deep ball work uh, in addition to, you know, your prototypical, your standard slot work. So we'll wait and see on what that offense actually looks like. Um, uh, no, I, I, I think yeah. that makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad you brought up Shane Steichen, the, the new head coach there at Indy, because a lot of people look at his time in Philly where they almost never played with a slot receiver. Um, they really like to play a lot of two tight end sets as well. Good coaches just play to their scheme. Philly didn't have a good third receiver. That's why they didn't play one. And I don't think it makes sense to necessarily ascribe that to what he'll do in Indianapolis. If you go back to 2019 and 2020, when Steichen was the offensive coordinator for the Chargers, obviously Keenan Allen had amazing seasons. He put up at least 100 catches in both of those years. So I think Steichen's going to work to his system. Clearly, they like Josh Downs enough to draft him. I know third round isn't great capital. And what I'll say about Anthony Richardson is he is kind of a, a one read and go player at this point, but I do think that that first read will be Josh Downs a lot. And Josh Downs is so quick. He is such good footwork in the short and intermediate game that if he is the first read, Richardson won't be afraid to let that loose. So I, I do agree with you. I actually have Josh Downs projected for more points this season than Quentin Johnston or Zay Flowers. So we're on the same page that Josh Downs is heavily undervalued. Where would you feel comfortable taking him in the draft? Or since you've already, you know, how many shares do you have and where have you been landing him? I'd, I'd have to count him up, but I'm trying to get Downs pretty much everywhere. Um, just because of his current value, I think it's absurd. Um, 
I'm comfortable taking him as in the early second, but I don't feel like you have to do that. I think if you're in the early second, you can trade down to two five, two six, two seven, and get him there. I've gotten him at as late as two eleven. So wow, um, yeah. yeah. So pretty much my my whole strategy here is if you have a pick between one point eight and two point two, two point three, trade down to the mid late second, maybe get an extra second or pick it in, pick next year and then secure Josh Downs. You're not going to get a drop-off in receiver. You'll get added value elsewhere. Um, and, yeah, uh, I, yeah I, I love Downs. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I, I know you're low on Jordan Addison, but for me, that tier really starts at 110. So after you get by basically all of the 10 guys drafted on day one, for me, minus Zay Flowers, just because I'm not a huge fan of his. Once you get past there, the draft gets really flat from about 11 to 20. And Josh Downs is going towards the end of that range. His ADP in the 118 drafts that I'm currently tracking is 18.4. So that's at the 2627. So I think you're spot on there. If you move the 111 or the 112, you can easily get a second round pick next year. You can get Josh Downs and you basically have two shots at the same exact player uh, in terms of the quality that you're getting. Um Moving a bit because we're getting into, you know, some of the strategy of moving in and out and around the draft. What is your strategy as far as the top six go? So uh, almost everyone has, you know, Bijan, Anthony Richardson, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Jameer Gibbs, and Jackson Smith, the Jigba in some order in the top six. Which of those six are you targeting? And if you don't have a pick in the top six, what type of players are you trading to try to get into that range? It's a great question. Uh, I'll address the first one first, um, which is who am I targeting? Uh, that would be Bijan, Gibbs, Stroud, and Young. Um, I think you really can't go wrong in the top six. Uh, you know, it just depends on what you're looking for. And, and for me, Anthony Richardson right now is the consensus uh, one-two um, for good reason. You know, he's got ceiling for days. Uh the problem I have is I'm a bit more risk averse when it comes to rookies and there's no riskier pick than Anthony Richardson. He's got complete bust potential where he could be out of the league in three years. Uh, maybe not out of the league, but lose a starting starting job or any shot at starting long-term in three years uh, because he was, he was frankly a bad passer in college. Um, that's not to say he can't be a good one. He has all the, the arm talent in the world to be a good passer. It's just a matter of, how is he going to develop as a processor? Is his touch going to, is his touch and accuracy going to develop? We, we really don't know. He's got a good coach. He's got a good offensive line. He's got decent weapons and a good running back for a supporting running game. So he's set up for success. Uh, will he take that next step forward? Uh, I don't know. If he does, then, you know, the people taking him one, two, uh, they're going to be big winners and he might end up being better than, you know, taking Bijan here. So, um, that being said, when I look at, you know, Bryce Young, uh, he's also set up for success. He was a Heisman Trophy winner for a reason. You know, the guy's accurate as hell. He's a gamer. He's got a good arm. Um, you know, he really understands the game of football. And I think when he walks into the league, we're going to see a rookie performance that's going to be, you know, not what we typically see, which is you know, struggling out of the gate. I think he can walk into the league and be a, a contributor contributor to your fantasy team immediately um and with his arm talent and accuracy if they surround him with the right weapons 
I do think that he could be a top 12 quarterback yearly. He's He's got that type of processing ability and that type of touch. So we'll see what happens with Bryce Young. Um, C.J. Stroud, I had a higher grade on him than, than Bryce Young. Uh, most of that has to do with just like he's got a he's got a bigger arm. He's a bigger player. All of the risk of, of a small quarterback goes out of the window. Um, and he's, you know, he's a very solid processor. Um, I, I, I think that's the key. I think that Stroud's decision-making and ball placement was just straight up better than Young. I was. think that his touch, especially when looking at passes in, you know, the 20 to 30 yard range down the field, his touch was absolutely incredible. And obviously he was working with, you know, excellent top 10 dynasty type wide receivers, but he also made those receivers good because if they had a yard of separation, he was getting them the ball on time and on target. I think that Stroud would have been my number one pick if I were the Panthers. I think he's most likely to be the best NFL quarterback in this class. Now that doesn't necessarily translate to dynasty and fantasy success, but I agree with you there that, you know, I, I like young as well. I have young ranked higher than Stroud, but I think it's closer given their actual, you know, on the field talent level than, than some other people are making it out to be. No, I, I completely agree with you. The one aspect of the game that I think Bryce Young has the edge at is he's got a better feel for how to create and improvise. Yeah. And, you know, he's got a little Johnny Manziel in him in that way. So, um, you know, Stroud overall, I think if you, if you wanted to draw up a quarterback uh, prospect, um, he's kind of your ideal guy. Uh, so, yeah. but he went, he landed in hell. He landed in Houston where they awful, have nobody awful spot. offensive lines, garbage. So, you know, I think that right now it's kind of Stroud, Stroud's the bottom of the three quarterbacks just for, for most. For me, he's still number two, um, but I'm not taking him over Richardson because of Richardson's value. Uh, that means that I'm totally looking, if I'm at one, two, to trade downs to, to three or four, pick up some added value to get one of the uh, quarterbacks I grade higher. Um yeah, that makes sense. And the other yeah. issue that I have with Stroud is that they have no weapons around him. All they did was add Tank Dell in the third round. And not mm-hmm. only that, but they didn't draft a, a wide receiver at number 12 overall. That's that's okay. They didn't have to do that. But they traded number 12 overall, plus a future first round pick next year, which could be a top five pick, plus another second round pick for a defensive player. So how exactly is CJ Stroud in the next... 20 months going to get a stud wide receiver. I mean, listen, there are trades all the time. Tyree Kill was traded. Stephon Diggs was traded. AJ Brown was traded. It can happen, but I don't think the the Texans are going to be ready to do that. They're not going to have a first round pick next year. I think they're in tough shape where CJ Stroud might look okay, but have two years where he really struggles on the field and really struggles from a fantasy perspective, just because he doesn't have the system around him. They, they really just have, a good left tackle, and, and that's it on that offense. And so we're going to have to look at his advanced numbers, his ball yeah. placement, the tape, to really figure out what he's doing, just like we did with Tua when he had nobody. So, like, mm-hmm. we know what the situation is, and it's just a matter of not hitting the panic button if the numbers don't reflect his performance. So I think, Stroud, you know, we, we shouldn't expect fantasy production out of the gate, but we should expect him to translate well. I think he's a high-floor player. He's got a bright future ahead of him. 
Um, I, I really am not concerned with, you know, his trans, his translatability. It's just a matter of when will Houston be in a position to win. And from, from recent history, at least, that's going to take a while. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they really don't know what they're, they're doing over there. So unless it, maybe, maybe they send a second back and take Hopkins, who knows? It's possible. I, I, I don't know if uh, the Hopkins-Houston reunion is necessarily <laughs> would be a happy one. But, yeah, I currently have Stroud projected at about 17 points per game around the QB 24 next season, uh, putting up basically 4,000 yards, 27 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, adding very little on the ground. Um, if you want to look at all my projections, by the way, they're all available through my Patreon as part of my rookie strategy guide. Working up towards 70, maybe 80 pages. This guide has uh, been getting pretty detailed, but got a lot of stuff in it, including, you know, film breakdown, trade value chart, all that type of stuff. Um, nice. Similar stuff to, to what we're talking about here. Um, nice simple plug there. Yeah, you know, gotta <laughs> as I've been working on this, been working on the plugging ability. You, you know how it goes. Um, so uh, as someone who doesn't typically have a lot of picks, especially a lot of first round picks and drafts, if you, let's say Jameer Gibbs falls to the 105, or let's say uh, uh, CJ Stroud falls to the 106, how are you targeting these players? How are you getting into this range of the draft when you don't have draft capital to trade? I mean, most people are saying, oh, I'll give you 109 and 112, or I'll give you a future first and 112. But since you typically don't have those, what are you using to get those types of players? You know, it's, it's pretty difficult. Um, you, you have to be able to pair assets and, and work it like a little bit of a puzzle. Uh, you know, Jameer Gibbs, you're going to have people who have him over a guy like Saquon. Yeah. Um, you're going to have people say, I, I want Jameer Gibbs over Christian McCaffrey. And that's totally reasonable at this point. You know, those guys are 26, 27 years old. Um, Jameer Gibbs, some people think he can walk into the league as an RB1. I, I'm not one of those, though. I also have Jameer Gibbs over Saquon Barkley and Christian McCaffrey. So, like, I think it, it's one of those, like, look at your roster. What, what can I do to give somebody production now and give them draft capital in the future or another young asset that gives them upside that they're going to like. So for example, I want Jameer Gibbs and I have Nick Chubb and I want to get younger at running back. I would be totally willing to send Nick Chubb in a 24 first uh, for Jameer Gibbs. And I think somebody's going to look at it. Oh, I'm, I'm sending one, four, one, five, and I'm getting a first back, which could be Braylon Allen. Um, and then I'm also getting Nick Chubb. So I'm going to get an RB one season for the next two years. Uh, I think that a lot of people might bite on that. And if you have somebody who's totally out on acquiring a 26-year-old running back, well, how about somebody like Traylon Burks? You have Traylon Burks, who's probably valued right now around Jordan Addison, Zay Flowers in the mid to late one. Uh, he looked good. Uh, he's in the Titans offense that doesn't throw very much, and he's still pretty raw. Um, why not pay a little bit to get an upgrade on him? So, how would you do that? Um, you know, you could pair Traylon Burks with three second round picks. Uh, I think that might get somebody's attention. If it doesn't, are you willing to, to add somebody like a Marquise Brown? Um, that might be a bit of an overpay when you 
look back on the season, you see Marquise Brown producing as a top 15 receiver. Uh, but, you know, it might be worth it if Jameer Gibbs is what people think he may be, which is a guy who can catch 80, 90 passes and still put up a thousand plus rushing yards. Like we're talking about an Alvin Kamara with more rushing potential. Yeah, and, and the other the other way that I like to potentially do that is see if you can kind of slowly tear up to get into because a lot of people if they have the 105 they have they've been looking at this 105 for the last three months they've had this pick for the last year plus they might not want to move out of the draft what I would sometimes recommend doing is trade Traylon Burks for the 108 and then trade the 108 plus a few seconds for the 105 because right. that's a lot easier sell in a lot of times, especially because a lot of times whoever has the 104 or 105, if they haven't traded it yet and they earn that pick by potentially being a non-playoff team, they might not be ready to compete. So maybe they don't want the Nick Chubb. So you can trade Nick Chubb to whoever has the 110 or 111 who might be contending and then use that 110, which is a more liquid asset to get up to the 105, that type of range. Right. And the other way to do it is actually going all in, getting your elite asset. I'm talking like a Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, and then trading back down. So I yeah, found... I- yeah, that I, that's completely right. I, I did a trade where I got Joe Burrow and ended up moving him for picks that became Anthony Richardson and Jameer Gibbs. What what a haul for you! I mean, like you're not going to get that now, but like if you if you think about how to acquire these massive assets, it's not really about the value, right? It's about giving people what they want. Um, you know, you you take a Josh Allen and people say, "I want at least four firsts." No player really is worth four firsts. And what that person's really saying to you is, I want a superstar that's worth two firsts, plus maybe a a first in draft capital, and then some sort of ancillary piece that has upside that I like. Then you can take that big, massive piece and break them down into the two pieces that you actually want. So like, let's say you go to Josh Allen. I've personally traded Josh Allen for CJ Stroud, Bryce Young plus. Wow. Yeah. And yeah, I, I completely agree that that's how you want to approach it. I want to touch on Gibbs briefly before we move on to kind of the second half of the first round, which is a difficult and controversial place of this draft. What I want to say about Gibbs is people are saying, you know, David Montgomery is there. How is he going to get enough rushing workload? All of this, quite honestly, bullshit. Um They just took Jameer Gibbs number 12 overall. DeAndre Swift has averaged 14 plus points per game in this system the last three seasons. David Montgomery is not going to get more work than Jamal Williams did, who, you know, they absolutely loved, was the captain of that team, ran for 18 touchdowns last season. And the Detroit Lions had 480 rushing attempts last season. When you remove Jared Goff's rushing attempts, which were not a lot, obviously, uh, they still had 450 rushing attempts last season. So even if you only want to give Jameer Gibbs a third of those, let's say he gets 150, so nine or 10 a game, which is kind of what I have him projected for. You look at Alvin Kamara's rookie season. He had 120 rushes. You look at Austin Eckler's first breakout season. He had 132 rushes. And the next year he had 116. For these elite backs that, by the way, in those three seasons, Eckler and Kamara averaged 85 catches. So for these elite receiving backs, you really only need 10 or so touches a game because he's going to have a high yards per carry because he's going to be running out of shotgun and running out wide. And then he needs to get five catches a game, four or five catches a game. 
And if he does that, which I currently have him projected for, he's going to be a top six, top 10 running back. So that's basically the path. And if you don't think Gibbs is good enough, then that's a whole nother thing. But in terms of the opportunity that he has, he clearly has the opportunity to be a top 10 running back. I currently have him projected for 170 carries, 850 yards, 70 catches, 550 yards, and 10 total touchdowns. That would get him to 16 and a half points per game, which is about the RB8. And really, I think he he could potentially break that. Obviously, he could do worse as well. But this is why Jameer Gibbs is being valued so highly. And this is why he can be successful, even if David Montgomery also rushes for 1,000 yards, which I think he probably will. So I'm sorry. I have a lot of thoughts on this. And yeah, let's do it. I, I apologize in advance if this gets to be a little bit chaotic. So please reel me reel me in if it if it goes in a weird direction. All right. But, um, first of all, I think we need to acknowledge the elephant in the room that no one has talked about, and that's Dan Campbell. Yeah. He is a complete wild card, right? We we no one saw 17, 18 touchdowns come from Jamal Williams. No one saw complete hatred of DeAndre Swift come. Like these are things that sort of came out of the blue, right? Uh, we we understood DeAndre Swift's injury history. Uh, we knew about his shoulder and ankle coming into the season. We thought that, you know, uh, that might play a factor early in the season. He would gain steam later in the season. But what we saw was, you know, despite Jamal Williams getting three and a half yards of carry and really showing no life, if any <laughs> any important down came, came up, Jamal Williams was getting the ball. Yeah. Um, we don't know. I mean, I'm not one of the people that think that Jamal Williams was doing anything DeAndre Swift couldn't do. Uh, no, he just happened to get the ball. Dan Campbell is one of those old school uh, head coaches where the issue with DeAndre Swift is that he would be awesome on 80% of his snaps. But on the 20% of his snaps, it's not that he would be okay. It's that he would be bad. He would miss a block. He would fumble. He'd miss an open lane trying to pick up extra yards. And I think DeAndre Swift is very good. And if you gave him consistent work, like I expect he'll get in Philly, I think a lot of that will get out of his system. So this is not hating on DeAndre Swift. This says more about Dan Campbell, that he's the type of head coach that is not going to deal with his scheme being messed up by people making mistakes. So I think what you're trying to get at is Dan Campbell could hate Jameer Gibbs. Like I obviously he was happy about the pick. He's going to play him initially, but there is a scenario that Jameer Gibbs makes a few mistakes and doesn't see as consistent playing time as we're hoping. That's not where I was going. I was more so just, first of all, I, I don't think Jamal Williams was a player without mistakes last year. So yeah. like this is all to say is I think Dan Campbell will do what Dan Campbell thinks is best for the team. Uh, I don't think Dan Campbell's going to care whether Jameer Gibbs was picked 12th or 45th. I think he's just going to say, hey, we have a contender here. Everyone's fighting. Those who are giving us the best odds to succeed are going to see the field. And so that's where I come come to next with David Montgomery versus Jameer Gibbs. I said this when DeAndre Swift was there. I don't think David Montgomery was a threat to DeAndre Swift. I think Jameer Gibbs is just as good, if not better, of a player than DeAndre Swift. So I yeah. don't think D- David Montgomery is going to matter to Jameer Gibbs and that includes goal line work and so here's where I want to go next Mm -hmm. is I think this whole crap about a 200 pound running back versus 
215 pound running back, the 200 pound running back clearly cannot be a workhorse. That is baloney. What really matters is the strength of the player and their contact balance. Both of those pound for pound, Jameer Gibbs is extremely strong and he's displayed tremendous contact balance. So if you're going to go near the goal line, do I want to have the guy that can only run right into the offensive line and hope that they bowling ball their way in? Or do I want the guy who can do that, but if it's not there and might not happen, can bounce it outside and get around everybody? Jameer Gibbs near the goal line gives them a better chance to score than David Montgomery because he can do it straight up the middle and he can go outside. I Second, I, complete, I completely agree, and I think that's such a good point. It's about having the agility and balance so when you get hit, you fall forward because you can't push through five defensive tackles who are on the field if they know that you're running right up the middle on first on third mm-hmm. and two or third and goal from the two-yard line. What you need is to be able to make a quick move, and even if they hit you and even if you get tackled, you're falling forward in the end zone because you were able to find the space. If you look at last year, like Austin Eckler – had six touchdowns on eight attempts inside the five-yard line. He's consistently put up 10-plus touchdown seasons. You compare that to a guy like Najee Harris, who hypothetically is a more powerful running back, but in my opinion, lacks the agility or vision to get to where he needs to be. He had three touchdowns on nine attempts inside the five-yard line. You look at David Montgomery, historically he's been just about average, about 2% below average in terms of his conversion rate on those plays. So, I think you're right. People pay too much attention to can you pound it in past 320-pound defensive tackles from the one-yard line. First of all, most touchdowns aren't scored that way, so let's just adjust what we think about that. Second of all, the Lions, without Jamal Williams, I expect will be throwing quite a bit more than they did last year within the 5- and 10-yard line, and Jameer Gibbs is the second option on that team in the receiving game. He's all they have other than a Monroe St. Brown. Jameson Williams has some potential. He's not a red zone guy. Sam Laporta only had three touchdowns in his last two seasons at Iowa. He's not a red zone guy, and he's a rookie tight end. So I agree with you. I I don't think that, especially year one, Gibbs is going to get, you know, 12 rushing touchdowns, but he'll get eight, and that's enough. So, yes. Uh, (laughs) So I think you said it pretty pretty – you were pretty spot on when you said David Montgomery was pretty average down low. And I think that that also goes for everything else in his game. Yeah. There's nothing David Montgomery can't do. He can pass block adequately. He can run adequately between the tackles and outside He can do short yardage, whatever he can. He's fine, but he is a backup caliber player, right? He's nothing special. He can be a starter on, some teams, but like that's probably because they don't have running. Like, for example, you could be a starter for the Miami Dolphins easily. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's getting paid $6 million. That's what Kenyon Drake got paid in Vegas. And Kenyon Drake didn't get a lot of play. And the reason is sometimes people value having a quality, steady backup running back, especially when your offense is predicated on play action which the Lions offense is. So, you know, I think David Montgomery is there to get some grunt work to spell the starter. I don't think David Montgomery is going to be a thousand yard guy. I don't think David Montgomery is going to eat goal line touches. Um, That being said, I am not going to predict 
Jameer Gibbs year one usage. And frankly, I don't really care what his year one usage is because I believe in the town so much that he could put up diddly squat and I'd still have him as top 12 running back entering the 2024 season. Um, him having top 12 draft capital makes me think that there, it's going to be unavoidable uh, for the Lions to get him on the field. And when he gets on that field, we know how electric he is. And hopefully that's enough to get him all the touches he needs to be a super viable, awesome fantasy asset. But right now it's a little hairy for me to project simply because, you know, David Montgomery is an experienced vet. We know that the coach will be able to rely on him to perform adequately. Um, and some coaches shy away from rookies. So we'll see what happens, what's in Dan Campbell's head. But, you know, I'm super high on Jameer Gibbs. Um, yeah, and, and what I'll say is that that top 15, that, that number 12 draft capital really makes him inevitable. I, I did some <laughs> research in this going back to 2010. 82% of running backs drafted in the top 15 had at least one top 12 seasons. And half of those had at least a top 12 season in their first two years, 55%. In addition, half of those running backs, 55%, put up a top six season at some point in their career, and 20% of them had an RB1 season. So he is really, he would have to be essentially in the bottom 10 percentile of these outcomes to not at some point have a top 12 season. And it's my opinion it's going to happen within the first two years. Obviously, there's some... Some uh, we'll see what Dan Campbell decides, but he clearly has the talent. Now he has the draft capital, and Absolutely. it's a great situation with really only Amon Ross St. Brown as an established threat in the passing game and a quarterback who loves dumping the ball off with a low A dot. Um, let's move on. I know you probably have more to say on Gibbs, but I want to touch on make sure to hit on the rest of this class. I got a question for you, though. Yeah. So, what are you paying on top of Gibbs to get to be on? That's an excellent question. Um, very good question. Glad that you asked that. Uh, mostly because it gives me another chance to plug my uh, trade value chart uh, for rookie drafts. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so <laughs> this is actually an interesting question for you because I this is one of the things I was trying to work through when I was building this trade value chart. Essentially, I think it's a top like 108 or 109. If I knew that I could get Jameer Gibbs, who I have as my dynasty RB4 right now, and Quentin Johnston or Jordan Addison or Dalton Kincaid, I would probably do that for Bijan Robinson. Now, I think you can get more, so I'm not necessarily saying you should go out and make that offer. But if you give me Jameer Gibbs and let's say a random 2024 first, I'm probably taking that for Bijan. What about you? It's tough, right? It is. This, this is really a very tough. tough question. And I think what it comes down to is our philosophical difference where you are, le you are less risk averse than I am when it comes to rookies. Yeah. And um, Bijan Robinson to me feels so much safer, he not is. only in the role that he's going to get, but just as the size, the prospect profile to me, I am buying floor and I'm getting more ceiling when I go from Gibbs to Bijan. We're talking Bijan is a CMC Saquon Barkley level level prospect. Yeah. Right? Gibbs ultimate ceiling is an Alvin, Alvin Kamara type, right? Uh, and the likelihood Bijan hits his ceiling is higher than Jameer Gibbs. So I see what you're saying about one eight one nine on top of Gibbs, but to me, a Zay Flowers, Jordan Addison on top of Gibbs 
simply it wouldn't be enough. Uh, in fact, I've just rejected 110 plus Gibbs at 14 for Bijan. Um, yeah, and 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 I I support that decision. I I think the way I would counter is that in a way you're being risk averse because you're acquiring two players for one. Where let's say only Gibbs hit and only Bijan hits, then you lose that trade by a little bit. Let's say that, or by maybe more than a little bit. Let's say that Gibbs doesn't hit, but your wide receiver hits, then you lose that trade for a little bit. And if both hit, I mean, first of all, there's a possibility Bijan doesn't hit. It It's very unlikely, but there's a possibility of that for any player. Right. There's a possibility that he and Gibbs both hit and that Gibbs is actually better, that Bijan turns out to be Jonathan Taylor, but Gibbs turns out to be Christian McCaffrey and his receiving load is just higher. You know, I'm not saying this is likely, but you're right. Bijan I have as a 99th percentile uh, prospect. I have Jameer Gibbs in the 90, it was the 93rd percentile before the draft, 95th percentile after the draft. So there is a gap there, but he's still obviously a very strong prospect. I, I agree with you. I wouldn't trade Bijan for Gibbs and Zay Flowers, let's say. I would, however, trade Bijan for, let's say, Gibbs and Traylon Burks, maybe, or for Gibbs and, let's say, Chris Alave, and you give a second round pick back, something like that. Because if you're getting a stud, like, let's say you trade Bijan for Chris Alave, Jameer Gibbs, and you have to give back the 204, which turns out to be Jonathan Mingo or Josh Downs or someone like that you really are mitigating a lot of your risk there. I don't think you're harming your upside. And the truth is you're selling a guy in Bijan. It's not the necessarily peak of his value because it's possible he could, you know, he's already basically being drafted at the 110, 111 in startups. He could get as high as the 15, 106. He's not going to get higher than the, you know, 103 or 104. And in my opinion, he should never be higher than what is currently the top six quarterbacks. So it's going to be, you're kind of selling Bijan at his max. Well, hypothetically, you could be getting more uh, positive value growth out of what you'd be trading for. So I think you nailed it with the Alave suggestion. That's sort of where I was going to go. My other recommendation would be DK Metcalf. Um, DK Metcalf just took a value hit with JSN coming to Seattle. And I think people are probably valuing him around the one six to one eight Mm -hmm. uh, at this time. So it would align with what you had suggested, but it's going to give you a, a player that has a, a lot more floor. So that's how you're going to raise your floor with Gibbs by getting another asset that has a high floor. And you're still getting upside because Metcalf does have that. I, I liked your Traylon Burke suggestion. I think you could probably even get a little bit more. Trey Glendon's another guy that comes to mind. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or, or if you want to go at other positions, I mean, try to get a guy if you need let's say you have Bijan and you're trying to trade back to the 103 or 104 to get a quarterback, but it's just not happening, but you can trade back to the 105, get Jameer Gibbs and also get Tua or, you know, Daniel Jones or someone like that. That's also something you can consider, right? You can fill an extra position by making that downgrade like that. So obviously I like the wide receiver investment personally, but there are equally as good quarterback investments you can make. Interesting. You brought up, Dan Jones and Tua to pair with a wide receiver uh, like Burks uh, for Gibbs because I actually just rejected a trade uh, for Jameer Gibbs um, 
the offer made to me was Daniel Jones and J.K. Dobbins for yeah, not, Jameer Gibbs. Not enough for me. Not enough for Jameer Gibbs. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I rejected getting Jameer Gibbs for that package. Interesting. What, do you want to elaborate on why? Absolutely. Uh, people are way too low on J.K. Dobbins and Daniel Jones. Uh, Daniel Jones to me, you know, just quarterback nine. He just got a four-year deal. J.K. Dobbins, no one's there with him. He's still the RB1 on that team, efficient as hell, first year fully healthy, second year back from ACL. Guy could put up a, wide, uh, a running back one season this year. You're talking about trading a running back one and a quarterback one for a running back one. I'm not yeah. into that. And, and I am glad that you brought up J.K. Dobbins because um, he kind of is a good transition into what I want to get to next. So the next range of the draft between 7 and 10 is almost always – Kincaid, Quentin Johnston, Jordan Addison, and Zay Flowers in some yep. order. That seems like the clear top 10. Um, in my ADP, Quentin Johnston ADP is 8.0. Addison is 8.1. Kincaid is 9.1. And Zay Flowers is 9.8. So that's basically what you're getting in that range. After, I guess before we move on, do you have any quick thoughts on who you prefer out of those four and who you're fading? Locked in at 1.7 is Quinton Johnson. You know, I, I liked him as a prospect. I had questions about his, you know, translatability, whether his hands were good enough, whether his route tree was uh, large enough, and if he could even develop into a decent route runner. But when I see him and I pair it with the Chargers offense, I see a more versatile Mike Williams. This is a guy who's going to be a deep threat, big body, can go up and get it, struggles with his hands, but he can do more stuff underneath than Mike Williams can. He's a better athlete overall. So I personally love the fit. I know that Justin Herbert loves his big target. So Quentin Johnson there, I really, really like that. Uh, I already had him above the other guys, Addison Flowers. The, the first round draft capital is definitely reaffirming. So above everybody else, Quentin Johnson's the locked and loaded wide receiver two of this class for me. Yeah, and and, and I agree with that. Um, I actually do have Dalton Kincaid above Mike Will. Uh, sorry, above Quentin Johnston. Um, but they, they're my seven and eight, uh, and I do prefer Quentin Johnston to Jordan Addison, and especially to Zay Flowers. You know, I agree with a lot of what you said about QJ. T to me, the landing spot is perfect because it's all a bet on the upside. And the only way he's going to reach that upside is if he has a superstar quarterback. And now he is locked into a superstar quarterback without any other weapons on that team that are anywhere close to his age. You know, Mike Williams is 29, Keenan Allen's 31. Both of them had have had injury problems recently. Really, there's just such a huge ceiling for Quentin Johnson now with Herbert that I think that landing spot was crucial to unlock. Um, I'm going to touch on Kincaid quickly. If anyone's listened to any of my other, my, my other podcasts or follow me on Twitter, they know I love Dalton Kincaid. He's the second best receiver on the Bills now. There is plenty of room in that offense for a second tight end. Uh, as I've mentioned in the past, Dawson Knox lined up on 60% of his snaps, not as an, sorry, 80% of his snaps, not as an inline tight end. Um, Quentin Morris, whoever the hell that is, also played 40% of the Bills snaps. Uh, the Bills management has already said that they expect Knox and Kincaid to both play together with Knox transitioning into more of a blocking role. I expect Kincaid to 
really have an excellent season, even as a rookie. And I know people hate rookie tight ends, but he is so ready and he is such a good fit for Josh Allen. They've needed someone who can work the seams in a way that Dawson Knox just doesn't have the athleticism to do. And they need a red zone weapon other than just tossing it up to Gabe Davis. So I love the fit there for Kincaid. And he was, you know, basically my favorite player in this draft. Um, any comments on Addison and Flowers? I'm trying to keep this quick so we can get into the kind of third and fourth round. Or sorry, second and third round as well. None on Addison, really. Uh, you know, my take on him is he's kind of drafted to a place where his ceiling is his team's wide receiver, too. And that's if everything pans out. And, you know, he's undersized. I'm not a huge fan. Uh, he's solid. If he's a wide receiver, too, that's his ultimate upside. You want to spend a first on that? Fine. I'd rather trade that for Jerry Judy. Yeah. Uh, and then if we're going over to Zay Flowers, you know, I think I'm higher on him than you are in terms of just his general ability as a player. I think he's got nice feet, nice route running. He's quick. Um, BC is a, a hellhole for collegiate wide receivers. So I'm not really yeah. looking at any of his stats, but I like the player. The problem I have is that I have Rashad Bateman tape that I have seen at the NFL level where he looks like Calvin Ridley. And like I'm, I think Bateman has a higher ceiling. He's a better sized player. Like yeah. I, I think Lamar Jackson has a potential X in Bateman. I get it. He's he's had injury concerns. He's not really been on the field. He's not been consistent. Whatever. Bateman's still a very talented prospect. He's still there. And Zay Flowers, he's he's a slot guy. So Zay Flowers is going to go over the middle and share targets with Mark Andrews. And Mark Andrews is the wide receiver one on that team. I don't really see it. I mean, like. I, I agree. I think they're going to use Zay Flowers like a fancy Devin DuVernay. Like, yeah, I'm, like, I'm getting all this pushback. Oh, but Todd Munkin's there and Bateman sucks and OBJ sucks. Okay, so in order for Zay Flowers to hit at any meaningful level, Todd Munkin will have to completely change the entire offense to be one of the more passing-heavy teams in the league rather than playing to their quarterback strengths. That's number one. Number two, Rashad Bateman will have to get hurt or be bad. Number three, $18 million a year Odell Beckham will have to not be used. Number four, Zay Flowers will have to learn how to pass block because they still will run the ball. And if Zay Flowers is going to be on the field, he better damn learn how to pass block because he was terrible in college at that. Number five, he's going to have to learn how to break the press because if he ever wants to play in 12 personnel over Beckham and Bateman, both of whom are capable blockers, he's going to have to learn how to actually play out wide. And number six, he's going to have to actually not just be a bad player. And there's always a bust rate for this. So that is such a long path to me. And a lot a lot of what goes into the analysis is, for me, number six is the reason. I just don't think he's very good. But even if you do think he's very good, for him to be a game-changing player who's averaging 16-plus points a game, it's just such a hard path. I, I think he can get to, you know, 12 or 13 yard uh, points per game by, you know, year three. But that's not going to change your, you know, dynasty trajectory of a team. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And the other thing that I've heard is that, you know, what if he's the next Marquise Brown flying down the, the sidelines, getting the deep ball? Well, first of all, that role is gone, right? So, like, you have Odell and Bateman. Both are very good deep ball receivers. Yep. Zay, Zay Flowers isn't faster than either. So, like, maybe Odell at this stage in his career. But – I, I don't see him having that role. He, and, I, and, and he didn't have good contested catch ability downfield. Like no. he, he was able to get open a lot and was quite good at running routes downfield, but he couldn't make contested catches. So that that's another problem. I, I even had somebody say to me, 
he looks like Tyreek Hill. I'm like, please stop. Oh, God. I am done with this conversation. No. (laughs) And and you have to remember, first of all, Marquise Brown's value never rose above basically a late first. Like you were never getting more than the 108, let's say, for Marquise Brown. In the there was there was more to that though. I, I mean, like let's let's call a spade a spade here. Marquise Brown had foot injury, ankle injury, the whole You're night right. early on. He was never consistent. And Marquise Brown, if Marquise Brown was ever consistent, his value would have been a lot higher. The problem with Marquise Brown was he kind of had like two hot games would go quiet half the season, whatever. At some point, I think like in his second or third year, there was a point you could get Marquise Brown for a third round pick. Yeah, and well, that was a problem for Brown. And it was also just a problem with Lamar. I mean, even even with a hypothetical new offense, there are going to be games where they're not going to throw the ball that often because the other team is going to be playing seven defensive backs and they realize we can just run it with J.K. Dobbins. We can run it with Lamar Jackson. We can throw it over the middle to Mark Andrews. And now let's transition to talk about, and this is where the J.K. Dobbins segue was coming in. Who the he- what the hell do you do if you're stuck with the 111? I, I think trading for J.K. Dobbins could be a good solution to that question. But if you're stuck at the 111, first of all, if you have to make a pick, who are you picking? And second of all, how far down are you willing to trade? It, it sounds like to the Josh Downs level, and what would you need to pick up to get to, let's say, the mid-second? So, like, I think if I'm stuck yeah. in the late first, there's four guys I'm really looking at, and that's Dalton Kincaid, Michael Mayer. Uh, both are in dynamite situations for tight ends and should get early playing time. Um, Kendra Miller is now my RB3. Uh, he might not get a lot of run this year, but I like his long-term outlook. Um, and if I'm, I think that's probably who I'd go with in that area so, of draft. So just to weigh in with some ADP, you mentioned Michael Mayer, but you didn't mention four, five out of the next six guys in ADP who are Achain, then Mayer, then Levis, then Charbonnet, then Mingo, then Laporta. And then we get to Kendra Miller. So I, I, I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm just saying this is part of the reason why for you trading down to the mid second, it sounds like you're going to get one of the guys that you want anyways. Right. Right. Um, That's why I hate this. I call it the dead zone of this draft. Like it's just exactly. Yeah. There's no reason to draft here. You just trade down, like, Get another second round pick. You could probably get a mid two mid seconds for a late first. And if I'm getting Josh Downs and John Mingo for Dalton Kincaid, I'm very happy. If I if I'm getting two point three and two ten, and I if that could turn out to be Michael Mayer and Josh Downs for Dalton Kincaid, or if I mean like if you want Devon Achin, our our favorite one hundred eighty pound scat back, um, I'm not. I'm not into drafting this area. Um, And so I think what you're suggesting, going and trading these picks for veterans, is the way to go, especially if you have a competitive roster. You know, I just took Dalton Kincaid at 111 and immediately flipped him for George Kittle Plus. Yep. Um, So, you know, this rookie hype is out of control when you're talking about, yes, George Kittle is older. George Kittle has struggled with injuries and consistency in recent years. He's an elite tight end. And we want Dalton Kincaid to be elite. He he may suck. 
Like that's yeah. a real possibility. No, it's totally cold up right. there in Buffalo. That ball hurts the hands, man. And and some other players that I would target. Feel free to hop in if you disagree with any of these. But around the one ten and a one eleven. So Tony Pollard and Ramondre Stevenson, you probably can't get any more post the draft. Um, Javante Williams is an interesting option. Uh, I just you, I just saw Ramondre go for one eight. Yep, uh, you could target like you said, George Kittle, Dallas Goddard. Um, at wide receiver, I like targeting Jerry Judy, Devontae Hollywood. Adams, Hollywood, Christian Deep. Watson, who I know you don't like, but is in that range. Deep and up. then at, at quarterback, you can target Kirk Cousins, uh, Geno Smith, Russell Wilson. That There are a lot of players that if you want to opt out of this draft, and these are trades that you need to send out. Because usually if someone posts, hey, uh, looking to trade the 111, the only people who are going to hit you up are people with the 204 and 206 and, you know, 202, right? They're going to think about it from a draft perspective. So you need to go out and send out trade offers. Just send a bunch of one-for-ones. Like, cast a wide net. Odds are that one of the people is going to love Devon Atchain or going to love Michael Meyer or will really need a quarterback and will love Will Levis. So just cast a wide net. Work the trade phones as hard as you can and move out of this range because I have actually, I actually do like Devon Achain quite a bit. Um, I like the landing spot. First of all, he's 188. Come on, don't hate on this guy. Uh, but I actually, I mean, his production profile in college was absolutely outstanding, especially for a guy his size. And the fit was just incredible. I mean, Miami has a complete opening at running back. It's an awesome scheme for him. I know you think his contact balance sucks. I actually like his contact balance and think that his speed and agility in that scheme will be awesome. So Devon Atchain is my 111 um, in the same tier as Michael Mayer and Will Levis, but I completely understand not wanting to take him. And he is not far ahead of, you know, Zach Charbonnet, Kendra Miller, Josh Downs for me. So if I can move back and get two of those guys for one of Atchain or Meyer or Levis, I'm absolutely doing that because you probably won't be able to make that trade after the class when people realize how close these guys are going in startups. I think we should talk about Devon Achi. All right, let's do it. I Start. Go ahead. I, I, I think it's the most asinine thing to take him in the first round. I, I, I frankly cannot wrap my head around it. So, so I, I understand there's a first round sticker shock. But this draft's first round ends at the 109 or 110. So let's let's think about him as an early second rounder. Are you still disgusted? Yes. Okay, explain. So first of all, he's 188 pounds. He's fast. And he won't be the fastest runner running back on his team. He's, okay. cer- he's certainly not going to get any important touches. He's not I, going to... He's I don't not, agree with that. I don't... Listen, they're starting, they're quote-unquote starting two running backs are Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson. First of all, Jeff Wilson is one of the worst running backs in the league. He, I don't know why he's even on a roster other than special teams at this point. Raheem Mostert cannot stay healthy and cannot handle a large workload. Last season, he set his career high with only 180 carries. That was 11 a game. Prior to last season, he had only played more than 11 games once. He had only gotten more than 104 carries once. He's just not going to stay healthy. He's not going to carry the workload. So Atchain will get a chance. He will get a chance. 
it's to say a third round 188 pound running back will get a chance yeah is an over assumption it's is frankly most third round running backs do diddly squat so no, like, that's not true that's actually, not true the third round is, hit rates are totally solid it's like 40 percent. okay so as i said most third but they round, get a chance they get a chance whether okay. they take it is another question, but third round running backs almost always now, get at least now adjust that sample size for people that are 188 pounds. There isn't a sample size for it. You're exactly. right. He he is because an outlier. He's, he's literally like if first of all, the Aggies offense is built for running backs. Like but it can, is such a running back friendly. Can you offense. not say the same thing about Bryce Young? Like how many quarterbacks below 205 have been good? Zero. Because there haven't been any. When we were when we're evaluating Bryce Young. We're evaluating a player that actually performed incredibly well and put on tape attributes that other quarterbacks don't have. So when we look at Devon Achain, we look at a guy who's super fast and everything's subpar. So this is where I want to push back because Devon Achain actually showed incredible attributes, in my opinion, on film. But let's get out of the opinion realm and let's get into some facts because Devon Achain, if we want to talk about his passing work, which is totally adequate, right? He was 80th percentile in yards per catch. He was 88th percentile in target share. He was 71st percentile in targets per route run. Let's talk about his running skills. He was 70th percentile yards after contact per attempt. He was 85th percentile in yards per team attempt. He was 90th percentile in elusiveness. And he was 85th percentile in explosive run rate. He was 90th percentile in PFF run grade. He was 88th percentile in broken tackles. He was a very, very good running back, I mean, and he did it on a very large workload. He was getting 20 I, carries I, a game. Some common sense needs to come in here where you're saying, okay, sprinter running back in college, highly efficient. No shit. When you get to the NFL where defenders are faster, you're going to have this puny guy get hit by people, and they get mauled by secondary defenders that are close in the gap. He's I just not don't going understand. to withstand the harder contact with faster defenders. I don't understand how you could like James Cook, who is basically the same size as Atchain. I don't care about nine pounds or whatever. Atchain had a amazingly better production profile in college, like not even close. I think he Mm -hmm. put up six times the amount of points in the last two seasons as James Cook did in college. I don't get how you could value James Cook at the 112 or so and not value Atchain there. And I know you're going to about to mention his 89 carry sample from last season where he was awesome. The exact same applies to what Achain's going to do. He's going to be in an awesome scheme. He's going to do really well on a limited workload at first. But the difference is, is that there is a wide open backfield in Miami for him to take over. Listen, it's risky. I don't like taking Devon Achain at 111. I don't think he's objectively worth a quote unquote first round pick. But when I look at this draft, it's just who what are the other options, right? You're taking a quarterback who likely sucks. You're taking a tight end who is limited limited athletically and I don't think will ever be a real game changer at that position. You're taking a running back who is behind Kenneth Walker. You're taking a wide receiver in Jonathan Mingo who didn't do a whole lot last season. Or you're taking Josh Downs who is a third round short wide receiver. So it's, in my opinion, he's the best of a bad, a bad options. I, I love that you just brought up James Cook. You want to know why? That's exactly who you should trade that pick for. You should trade it for the guy with a better size, a better prospect profile. No, 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 already, no, 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 no. Who's already shown it. Who's better already, prospect profile. James Cook had 700 career yards. He was who, 23 years old. He didn't do not, anything till his senior year. No, 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 no. 
no, no, wanna, no, no. Do you want to let me speak or you want to speak over me? I'll, I'll, I'll give you five I, I seconds kinda, to cool down here. I kind of want to speak over you, but I'll let you go. <laughs> All right. Well, like, why is it a better prospect profile? Let's start with the fact that James Cook is actually an NFL body. Like, he's a 205-pound running back now following training camp who has the size and, like, build of a real running back in the NFL, not some really slight 185-pound guy. Second, James Cook, second-round pick, heavy investment by his team, big difference when you're talking about a third-round running back. Third, James Cook has done it at the NFL level. I get it. Sample size small, but you can't walk away from those numbers and say, I'm not impressed. And third, college production does not matter as long as the advanced metrics say you're good. Everything James Cook did in college was efficient. That translated to the NFL. And if you're going to say Devon A-Chain is a better prospect because he racked up more aggregate stats, I don't care. Like, I don't care that the counting numbers say that Devin, Devon A-Chain's numbers are better. I don't care that it took James Cook until his senior year to actually produce because guess what? James Cook didn't produce, and he was a second-round pick because NFL scouts saw his change of direction ability, his receiving ability, and said, hey, that guy's a second-round talent. With Devon A-Chain, it's a mix of, A, you know, he's fast as hell. Maybe we can get this. Maybe this one-trick pony can give us a few things here. I actually think that Miami probably took him in the third round, not because they think he's a great running back, but because he's probably going to be their primary punt returner. I do think he's an excellent punt returner. Um, I have a lot of comebacks to this. They're all going to be stats where Devon Achain just blows him away, not only in terms of quantity. Listen, there's a lot of reasons to not like James Cook's college profile. He is a 199-pound back who was below average in elusiveness, below average in missed tackles forced. He was only like below average in explosive run rate. For a 199-pound back, I, okay, we'll, we'll argue James Cook and Devon Atchain another time. Um, we clearly disagree on that. We've hit on a lot of the players in the second round, but I don't feel like we've given enough time to two, spe- two specific positional arguments. We're going to talk about the second round wide receivers. We already talked about Josh Downs, but I want to talk about the four guys who actually went in the second round of the NFL draft. So that would be uh, Marvin Mims, Jonathan Mingo, Jaden Reed, and I'm for some reason blanking on the last one right now. Um, Anyways, those guys, uh, sorry, I got to find this right now. And Rashi Rice. There's a reason I forgot about him because he's Rashi Rice. So out of those four players, who are you interested in? Who are you not interested in? Only one I'm interested in is Mingo. Yeah. Um, Yeah. you can elaborate, but we're on exactly the same page here. Uh, you know, I actually like Mingo. Uh, I get it. He's a little older. It took him a while to produce. Um, but you just need to watch a little bit of his game, and you see he can really go up and get He can make that spectacular grab. Uh, there are elite upside traits to his game. The, and then you pair him with Bryce Young who's super accurate, and I like that pairing, you know, like a guy who can go up and get it, make that spectacular grab and an accurate quarterback. And then the fact that he's on the Panthers, who have really no one there, you know, Adam Thielen's probably going to be their 
de facto wide receiver one this year, but he's old and slowing down, and I could see them playing him in the slot. Um, so I think Mingo's going to have an opportunity early, and I, I, I like his upside. Um, yeah. me, me too. I think he's an underrated route runner. He's another guy that Matt Harmon, a reception perception, really liked. It's tough. He's tough me, too. Yeah, he's, he's a tough guy. He he picks up yards after the catch. I mean, he didn't do anything his first two years, but he was on the verge of a breakout his third year at Ole Miss. He had 350 yards in his first six games uh, before he broke his foot. He came back and started a little bit slow with the broken foot, but ended up putting up, you know, only 860 yards. It wasn't great at Ole Miss. Ole Miss's offense was an absolute mess, but I agree with you. The traits are there. And when I compare it with the other guys, again, this is kind of a fade on the second round in general. I see Marvin Mims. I know, he actually has a very good production profile. I see him as a super limited profile uh, player, basically a one trick pony. Um, the fact that he is an 18 a dot for a guy who's five foot 10 I don't view that as a good thing. That type of stuff doesn't fly in the NFL. A lot of his production were schemed up plays. I kind of view him similarly to Jalen Hyatt, but only Jalen Hyatt is kind of getting the black mark on his name for having these schemed up plays where he didn't have to actually like beat good coverage. I saw a lot of that in Marvin Mims game. Um, Rashi Rice, I don't think is an NFL player. I don't really want to touch on that, but I think he'll be out of the league in two years. And the last guy is Jaden Reed, who I know that you saw quite a bit being a Michigan fan. I I just don't see it with Jaden Reed. Like, he's an older player. He was never, never putting up very good production. I just don't see it with him. I, I think he's going to be a solid NFL player, but I see absolutely no upside from him. Yeah, uh, I pretty much agree with all that. Uh, you know, I think Jaden Reed is intriguing just because he's got pretty good hands. Yeah, and he's... He's got good body awareness. Um, like when when he's along the sideline, he really does know how to keep himself in bounds. Yeah, you're right. And I think yep. I, I think that's an underrated trait. You know, Michigan State's a hard place to play wide receiver. Um, Rashi Rice, I think, is a testament to what we need to learn about Kansas City, where it is a golden landing spot if you're good. Yeah, and like people need to stop thinking that every single player that Kansas city takes will pan out because most of the people they've been taking have been bad. And, and so maybe, and- maybe they need to work on their scouting department, but like if Rashi rice, isn't a good player, he's not going to pan out simply because Patrick Mahomes is throwing him the ball. Yeah. And, and Mahomes isn't a guy who's going to force it to rice. They're not going to force him on the field. If he's not good. I do think that, People are getting a little bit smarter. I mean, Rashi Rice's ADP right now is 19.8. That's way higher than where I would be comfortable taking him. But at least he's below guys like Mingo, guys like Charbonnet, Kendra Miller. Even Josh Downs is going a pick and a half above Rashi Rice. It's nice to see the Dynasty community getting a little bit smarter there. Um, So, like... uh, just to jump in here, this is a bit about my strategy when it comes to rookie drafts. I think this is an important tidbit. Um, Rashi Rice, Jaden Reed, these guys are going before uh, Josh Downs and Jalen Hyatt, who mm-hmm. are equivalent players who probably have better landing spots. And part of that is probably to do with their draft capital or their size. I think all of it has to do with the draft capital. And I think the draft capital has to do with their size. But yeah, so, continue. 
so when you see like when you play like I do where you trade into the draft, you're able to go into specific points and then only spend what you need to spend to get probably a more cost efficient asset. So when I'm paying for Josh Downs, I'm paying a cheaper price than, you know, holding a pick, getting Jaden Reed and getting a worse player. And, you know, sometimes you might have to take a guy like Jaden Reed or Rashi Rice over a guy like Josh Downs simply because that's how the market values them and you don't want to give up value during rookie drafts. The worst thing you can do during this part of the to- uh, part of the season is do something stupid like take Josh Downs over Zay Flowers yeah, where where that. where like yes, I think Josh Downs is going to be a better player than than Zay Flowers, but I have between now and week 1 to trade Zay Flowers and get the get who I actually want plus more. And with when, when you're kind of stuck and pigeonholed into certain areas of the draft, you have a little less flexibility um, or you really have to work to move down. And it's not as easy as jumping in and only spending what you want to spend. And it's it's not that easy. So I, I was just stuck at the 204. My top 15, my top 15 players were gone. I reached out to probably at least half the league trying to trade the 204. No one would bite. So I was stuck to pick there. I ended up picking Sam Laporta. Um, Not a bad pick. Happy with that selection. He's number 16 on my board. Um, Totally cool with that. But sometimes you just got to do it, right? The the only trade offer I got was basically the 311 to move back four spots. And I wasn't willing to take the risk that Josh Downs would be gone and I'd be stuck with Marvin Mims and, you know, Michael Wilson or Sean Tucker or whatever. So who I know we're going to get to when I ask you about some deep sleepers, I'm sure. So let's, I don't want to touch too much on the rest of the second round. I think we've covered this pretty well. My only question for you would be um, Zach Charbonnet versus Kendra Miller is a very interesting discussion. You mentioned that Kendra Miller is moving to actually before we get there, how are you doing on time? You got another 20 minutes for me? Yeah, I do. All right, cool. So, you said you have Kendra Miller as your RB three. Let's let's ignore Devon Atchain for now. Miller or Charbonnet? How do you evaluate these two players as players and their landing spots? And and why are you taking Miller higher? To to give people some context, Miller's ADP is fifteen point six. Charbonnet's ATB is thirteen point eight. So Charbonnet's going about two picks higher. Yeah. Um, so before the draft, I had Zach Charbonnet over Kendra Miller. And I, I had them pretty close. And, uh, you know, I think this really just came down to the fact that I thought Zach Charbonnet would get better draft capital. Um, and I think that Zach Charbonnet is built like your prototypical workhorse back. And there's no real holes in his game where he would be limited or, or prohibited from securing a workhorse, workhorse role. Whereas Kendra Miller... You know he can he can take checkdowns and do fine in the pass game, but he's not really a receiver. Yeah. Um, I flip flop them, and I think it's more like I love Seattle for running backs. I think if if Ken, Kenneth Walker wasn't there, Zach Charbonnet would. I don't know. I probably would get a little irrational. Um, <laughs> I mean, but, if, if Kenneth Walker weren't there, Charbonnet would be my one hundred and seven, which is where I had him before the draft. I'm really like rattled by Seattle taking Charbonnet. It's it's uncomfortable. I'm a huge Kenneth Walker guy. 
I think Charmaine is a good, really good prospect. And, you know, second round draft capital is significant here. But when, what it comes down to is, you know, grading Walker and Charbonnet, I had as prospects, uh, as prospect evaluations, I had Walker significantly higher. Um, I think Walker is just elite change of direction. He's, he's extremely smart. He takes super efficient running lanes. Um, and he's shown that he can actually catch the ball. I know people were worried about whether or not he could, but he's already put that on tape. Um, what I don't know what Pete's thinking. Charbonnet is a bigger dude. Uh, I don't know if he's thinking maybe we're going to limit Walker's reps and use them interchangeably or if Charbonnet is going to get some pass work because he's a good pass blocker. I don't know what's going to happen. It makes me really uneasy with Charbonnet. And the fact that I have a young, bona fide, starting caliber running back there just makes me not feel comfortable about projecting Charbonnet's usage. Kendrick Miller, on the other hand, you know, since he's such a close eval for me, I see Alvin Kamara, who's a similar uh, runner. You know, they're gliders. They re- they're really good in the outside zone. Um, he's there a great player for him to learn from and, and how long is Kamara going to be there? You know, Kamara is 27 going on 28. Um, he's already showing signs of slowing down. Uh, Jamal Williams is there for, for goal line work. Um, you know, we, we've seen the saints consistently pair Kamara with a big body running back, uh, for, for goal line usage, but you know, Kendrick Miller is kind of a big body guy that can take that work. Um, I see Kendrick Miller as really a three down back prototype. So I see these two old guys and it makes me worried about Kendrick Miller in the short term, but they're two guys that are great to learn from and the scheme fits his game really well. Yeah, uh, it, it, it so, does. And, and I think you're being very correct in terms of looking at the short term versus long-term approach. Um, yeah. So when I, when I look at Kendrick Miller, it's just like, you know, if he can get 80, 85 to 100 touches this year and he does well with those it may it may make new orleans say hey like we got something here he's our lead back going into 2024 um that is why i'd have kendry miller over charbonnet i feel comfortable with the evals being close enough where i i like his situation significantly more um so i'm going with him yeah it's it's tough so on the pro Charbonnet side, he was drafted almost around above Kendra Miller. My eval was different. I was not a Kendra Miller fan in my eval. I think he's purely a first and second down player. My comparison for him was Deontay Foreman, which some people might take as a slight. Deontay Foreman's a very good first and second down running back. Damian Harris, a faster Damian Harris, was another guy that came to mind. Uh, Jamal Williams, a younger Jamal Williams, was another comp for Kendra Miller for me. I think my issue is it's just an eval thing. I don't see Miller being good enough to take advantage of the opportunity, even if he's given it. And I don't think he'll be given it from day one. New Orleans is looking to compete. Um, and even if Kamara is suspended, I think Kendra Miller is a poor pass catcher. So I don't think he'll be used in that regard. So I have some issues with Kendra Miller's upside. I think even if Jamal Williams and Alvin Kamara aren't there long-term, they didn't put that much draft capital in him. So I think they could draft above him. Charbonnet to me, 
he has, first of all, amazing contingent upside. So if Kenneth Walker gets hurt, Charbonnet is going to absolutely boom, right? We already talked about if he got drafted there and Kenneth Walker wasn't there. The other thing with Charbonnet is that I think they can use, so I've always viewed these, or I viewed Walker and Charbonnet as kind of a Zeke Elliott and Tony Pollard type players where Charbonnet is going to get some of the grunt work on first and second down. He's going to get some of the short yardage work and he's going to play a lot of third downs when it takes pass blocking or some of the simple routes. While Kenneth Walker, he's going to get the explosive plays on first and long, second and long. He's going to get a lot of the screen game, a lot of manufactured touches, kind of like Tony Pollard does. So I think there's room for Charbonnet. I have Charbonnet projected for 185 touches um, and, you know, 11 and a half fantasy points a game in year one. That puts him in as like a high-end RB3. I think there's room for him to be a high-end RB3, Walker to be a low-end RB1, similar to what Pollard and Zeke were last year. Um, It is a tough choice though. And I, I don't, you know, for how much more I like Charbonnet than Miller, it's a lot closer than I'm comfortable with because of these landing spots. There's just not upside for Charbonnet to be a incredibly valuable, productive player or a valuable player unless there's a trade or injury. And it's just hard to bet on that as basically the only path to like real upside. I mean, the thing is, is Pete Carroll. Like yeah, that's, that's all it's, it's really who knows. We saw them take a Rashad Penny in the first round and then just never play him. Uh, for Chris Carson, who was a sixth or seventh rounder, so like, I could I could see Pete Carroll doing to Kenneth Walker what, what Dan he, Campbell did to DeAndre Swift. Yeah, it, it could very well happen. I'm absolutely terrified for my Kenneth Walker shares. Not because I don't believe in Kenneth Walker as a player. I I think he's incredible. It's just because I think Pete Carroll is irrational, and like yeah. so uh, that's that. But if, if we're looking at Kendrick Miller and Zach Charbonnet. Again, these are guys that I wouldn't take over the locked and loaded RB1 for the Buffalo Bills, James Cook. Yeah, I wouldn't put James Cook there, but other targets would be J.K. Dobbins, like we said, Nick Chubb, Miles Sanders, Rashad White, even a guy like Cam Akers, a guy like Derrick Henry, if you're really going all in, or trade them for a wide receiver with some upside, like a Pickens, a Dotson, an Ayuk. I actually, I, I've been out on Dotson, but I traded 112 for Jahan Dotson in a league a few days I ago. I like that. Yeah, and that was a trade I was quite happy with, just because I didn't love the players at that range. Um, let's move on to talk about, we're, we'll be quicker, obviously, with the third and fourth round. Why don't you just tell me, who are some of the players that if you see them dropping, you're targeting in the third round and and where are you targeting them? I'm exclusively drafting four players in the third round. Um, They're Jalen Hyatt, Chase Brown, uh, Keishon Butte, and Luke Schoonmacher. Um, So Jalen Hyatt, you know, he is a one trick pony through and through deep ball threat. Uh, A lot of, NFL talking heads were saying he's a potential first round NFL pick that made some, you know, uh, Twitter analysts say uh, Jalen Hyatt should be like in the top 10 picks in your rookie draft. Yeah. Um, he's now a third round pick in your rookie drafts after going in the third round in the NFL draft. The good thing for him is that he went to the New York giants who have zero wide receivers uh, who are in desperate need of a deep threat and who have a quarterback who throws a nice deep ball. 
So out of the gate, I expect Jalen Hyatt to get a good role. I think he's going to be their primary deep threat receiver. Um, so you know what? Wheels up on him. Let's see if he can develop in terms of the rest of his game. If he can create a mid-range and underneath game and become a true all-around receiver, that'd be great. But in the meantime, you might get some early production of what the heck flex from Jalen Hyatt uh, on the New York Giants offense, even as a rookie. Um I don't know if you want to talk about Jalen Hyatt before we move on to my next guy, but yeah, I'll, I'll touch on Hyatt briefly. I, I don't love him. I don't like taking wide receivers in the third round of rookie drafts just because there's very little upside that they'll ever be more than a wide receiver three. Um, not that that has no value, right? Like Gabe Davis was, you know, getting up there in terms of his value and he was always a wide receiver three, but I just don't see it with Jalen Hyatt. I don't see any way he's more than, you know, a 55 catch guy. Um, if you do play in best ball leagues, I would move him up quite a bit right now. Jalen Hyatt is going 30, uh, sorry, 25th overall. That's the three Oh one. Um, that brings me to the next guy that you mentioned, who's going three Oh two, uh, 26th overall. And that is chase Brown. Yeah. Um, one thing about Jalen Hyatt here is, a, a one of my favorite third round picks from 2019 was Terry McLaurin. And I yes. think people had similar concerns with him. You know, produced late. Uh, I think he was a fifth round pick. Um, pre- predominantly a deep ball guy, but you know he's turned into an all around receiver. Um, I think everyone thinks he's an underrated player given his situation. But anyways, Chase Brown. I love Chase Brown. He's sneaky. Uh, I, I, I'm a big fan of his. Uh, he went a lot later than I thought he would. I thought he might sneak into the fourth or fifth round. Goes in the sixth to Cincy. We, I think, have confirmation that Joe Mixon's going to be there um, after this draft. Yeah. So we're not looking at a player who's going to have an immediate opportunity. Joe Mixon's a bell cow. Um, that being said, Cincinnati's backfield moving forward is wide open. And if Chase yeah. Brown impresses, you know, he's an all-around guy. He could be a workhorse. He's a hard worker. Everyone talks about his character. I think he's going to endear himself to his teammates and coaches. So that, you know, if he is good, they'll want to give him an opportunity. Um, And we know that since the offense is going to create a lot of opportunities for his playmaker. So I think it's an intriguing pick. I wouldn't go, you know, trying to acquire him. Uh, It's some guy that if I'm sitting in the early third and he's there on the board, I'm taking him. But you don't want to pay up to get a six-round running back. The hit rates on a six-round running back are piss poor. Yeah. Chase Brown's not a world breaker in terms of like what he's done. He did test very well at the combine. Um, that's very notable, yep. but you know, we'll see. Yeah. Ba- basically we'll see. I mean, P Ryan's not there and we saw that, you know, if Joe Mixon gets hurt, we know that the Bengals are willing to give their backup running back basically a hundred percent of the workload in those games. So there is some contingent upside for Chase Brown there. Um, Joe Mixon guy gets hurt. That- yeah, absolutely. The guy that I have instead of Chase Brown, I prefer Zach Evans. Um, similar reasons as far as the opportunity that you were mentioning. I'm not saying to go crazy. He's, I think, 30, 31st on my board, 30th on my board, something like that. But you can typically get Zach Evans a little bit later. I preferred him as a prospect to Chase Brown. So that would be my guy in that range. Um, I forgot about him. I think that's a great suggestion taking him in the third round. You know, just like Pete Carroll, Sean McVay's a little bit loco. And yep. Cam Akers fell out of favor once. There's no reason where he can again. 
And Zach Evans, you know, he never got that workload in college. He did get replaced by a freshman, but he's always been an efficient runner. Yeah, and, and when you're deciding between guys like, for instance, Kayshawn Booty, uh, no, sorry, not Kayshawn Booty, uh, Izzy Abanacanda and Eric Gray are currently going above Zach Evans. There's just not as much upside there. Uh, if you're drafting a running back in the middle to end of the third round, all you're really hoping for is some upside. And that's that's why I actually go running back over wide receiver um, in most cases as well. Um, I you did it. Go ahead. You look, at, you look at those guys. Izzy went to a place where he's going <laughs> to never be a starter. Uh, same thing with Eric Gray. Those guys exactly. aren't passing Brees Hall and Saquon. Exactly. Cam Akers, so. Cam Akers he, he can be supplanted. Yeah, and, and and so can uh so can Joe Mixon, who wasn't very good last season. Um, other guy that you mentioned was another one of my favorites whose current ADP is 39. That's the 403. I have him ranked 27th, and that is Luke Schoonmacher. Um, go blue. Another Michigan guy, go blue. Uh in my opinion, there's not a lot of upside there, but you could not end up at a better landing spot than Dallas. Schoonmacher is a consistent player. He is a good blocker. He's got soft hands. He's not going to be explosive, but I think he's going to get playing time from day one because there's no competition there. And the reason they drafted him in the second round was because he was one of the most pro-ready tight ends, certainly available at that time. Listen, Dalton Schultz was not very good. Dalton Schultz is the only tight end ranked in the top 20 to have a target share lower than 18% in college. So if he could do what he did in Dallas, Luke Schoonmacher can do 80% of that. And then you're quadrupling his value from drafting him in, you know, the late third round. Schoon. <laughs> oh, dude. I am so happy for him. Me like, too. Uh, this is where he went way earlier than anyone thought he would. And- yeah. I think it just goes to show that like he produced a lot at Michigan and he was a reliable target for the Wolverines. Um, he's also a good blocker. Yeah. Like, like he's, he's an NFL, you nailed it. NFL ready. He'll be on the field early. There's no competition there. Everybody wanted their favorite tight end to end up in Dallas. Schoonmacher is there and he got draft capital, which is great to see. I personally think his game looks like Dalton Schultz. Me too. So like sort of a seamless transition for the Cowboys. It's always hard to project a rookie tight end, Um, but this is as good as it's going to get for Luke. If you can get him in the third, late third, I think it's a really good upside play. You might be getting the next Dalton Schultz and you might be getting him without the attitude problem. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, while we're talking Michigan tight ends, keep an eye out for Colston Loveland. He's going to be a first-round pick next year and a first-round dynasty pick, uh, rookie dynasty pick. He's he's excellent. Big fan isn't, of his. He, isn't he ineligible? Isn't he only going to be a sophomore? No, he he redshirted freshman year. So he was a redshirt sophomore last year, um, and he's obviously taking over the starting role with Eric Allgon this year. Uh, so I, I'm excited for Colston Loveland uh, this got, this upcoming season. Hopefully your boy J.J. McCarthy can uh, actually throw it uh, on target for once. Um, but before we get too far off track, let's move on to my other team, the New England Patriots, who in the sixth round selected their only offensive weapon, um, to that point, actually, they did draft another wide receiver later. But Kayshawn Booty, uh, at one point, considered Boutte, I've been told by some. Uh, either way, his draft capital is Booty. Why are you still drafting him? First of all, let's just clear it up. Booty 
has said that his name is Booty. Exactly. L- listen, I understand that the name is French. We are not speaking French. If he, like, there is, there are, I think, four towns in the U.S. spelled the exact same way. All of them are pronounced Booty. If we were speaking French, we would say Boutte. But I'm going to go with what Kayshawn said. Yes, it's Booty. Anyways, and his draft capital is Booty. And so were his combine results. Those oh were Booty, God. too. Uh, but, you know, I really like Booty. Like, it's the first thing I look for when, uh, you know, pretty much anything in life. Um, <laughs> but, you know, in all seriousness, like, I think he fell in the draft for more reasons than just his play, right? Like, yes, his production wasn't great. Uh, yes, his combine results weren't I guess I'm just listing them now. His production wasn't great. His combine results weren't great. Yeah. Uh, apparently, his interviews went poorly. Um, LSU told him to not come back. Like, there's clearly attitude issues here. W- one thing I will yeah. say about his production, n- not to cut you off, but his production was great. He put up 74 yards a game as a freshman in the SEC. He then put up 80 yards a game as a sophomore in the ACC and a- and added nine touchdowns in only six games before he hurt his ankle. Then he had double ankle surgery, didn't come back until late September, and was just mediocre his uh, third season. So there are positive indicators, including that early freshman breakout in the SEC, that indicate that maybe he will be better than this draft capital says. Uh, I'll, I'll hand it back to you, though, to continue. Yeah, so like I'm I'm not afraid to to own my take here. And that was that, you know, entering the draft uh before the combine, Booty was my wide receiver three. Yeah. Um I am tremendously high on this guy relative to consensus. Obviously, he's slipped way down my board since you know he's a six-round pick. Uh we're not going to say I'm I'm a genius here and the rest of the world's dumb. But uh, I think there's a lot more going on here other than his game. And when I look at what he does, you look for players who who feel the game and then and then just take advantage of defenders. Like he he understands when he has the ball how to manipulate his body and pivot so that he gets people out of position. And then he 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 has really good speed, and that didn't show up at the combine, his burst numbers uh, or his jump at the combine was bad. But if you turn on any LSU game, you see him running down the side. No one is catching this guy. There's absolutely, there's absolutely zero concerns for me when he's, he catches the ball, turns and accelerates. I don't see any issues with his burst. So when I look at his combine numbers and I turn on the tape, I'm like, okay, I like this guy has attitude problems. He probably didn't even try. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree. He definitely didn't train. I don't know if there was something wrong with him physically, but you look at the suddenness out of his breaks. You look at his ability to get through tackles. That is not a guy who has a 29-inch vertical, which is worse than about half no. of the offensive linemen. Like something else must have been wrong. And he lands in an awesome situation where I think Booty's best as a big slot, similar to what Jacoby Myers was last year similar to what the Patriots have been doing for over a decade now. My comparison for Booty is Tyler Boyd, um, which I know you hate Tyler Boyd, but listen, if Kayshawn Booty in the 11th round 
sorry, in the third, late third round has a Tyler Boyd like career. That would definitely be a success. I think he has that ability and he most importantly has the opportunity. The Patriots have absolutely no one at the wide receiver position. The wide receiver one is Kendrick Bourne. So if he has good enough work ethic and comes in, tries to take advantage of this new opportunity, I think he can succeed in new England. That being said, he is going around the 306 in drafts. I would take all of the running backs that we've discussed, especially Zach Evans and Chase Brown over Kayshawn Booty, just because, you know, if he has bad work ethic, which it seems like he does, and if he has attitude problems, which it seems like he does, I don't think he'll make the team. And I think it's a better than 50% chance that Booty doesn't make the team. But if he does, I think he can produce. Right. Uh, so I was just going to say, like, we just talked about his combine numbers being piss poor and both of us share the belief that it was because he, he didn't train or try. Yeah. We don't, we ultimately don't know. I mean, it might be lingering effects from his double ankles. Who knows? But like, that's concerning, right? Yeah. You, you don't want a player who has a bad work ethic, regardless of how naturally gifted you are. If you don't try, you're not going to make it in the NFL. And if you go to the new England Patriots and you don't try, you're right, Mike, he's not going to make the team. That being said, like, when I turn on his tape, I see a second round prospect. Yeah. Like I see extension. I see the, the, the ball skills, the hands necessary to be a second round pick. The yak so, ability. I, I had him as a third round pick, but yeah, we're, we're on the same page there. Yeah. And so like he goes to the New England Patriots. Nobody's there. I mean, like him with Juju is an interesting pairing because Juju's a big slot. And you can run a lot of fun crossers with a pretty accurate arm in Mac Jones. And I think that like if Booty makes the team, who – like Tyquan Thornton's like, I don't care. Like he yeah. sucks. No, I agree. I mean, there's no one on that team that's going to prevent him from getting uh opportunity. I, I totally forgot that the Pat signed Juju. I guess I just uh, intentionally got that out of my mind. Cause I hated yeah. that signing. What, what I'm going to ask for you, you are now, you just moved. You're now about what? 20 minutes from Foxborough. You got to get up there to some of the training camp. I, I've been to Patriots training camp a few times. It's actually a fun time. I got a really good barbecue place for you out there if you end up going. So definitely go check out training camp. Tell me if Kayshawn Booty is the first guy and last guy out or if he's smoking weed in the parking lot. So you want me to tell you Booty is Booty. Exactly. <laughs> um, one more guy I wanted to touch on who's basically the only guy I'm interested in in the fourth round. Actually, there's two of them. Number one is uh, Evan Hall. I like Evan Hall's film, uh, Northwestern running back, more size than you think. And he's the clear backup to Jonathan Taylor right now. I think he will get the passing down roll. Um, very different player than Naheem Hines, much more solidly built and kind of like a power receiver from the running back position, which is kind of a weird thing to say. But I like him a lot. I think he might have some good opportunity, especially, I mean, you saw what Deion Jackson did uh, when Jonathan Taylor went down. Um, the other guy and the only other guy I'm interested in in the fourth round is Dorian Thompson Robinson, the UCLA quarterback, just because I want to take a shot at upside. Listen, Deshaun Watson's had some legal troubles in the past. Who's to say if something else were to come back? Apparently, Dorian Thompson Robinson is going to be the backup there, and he's got some athleticism. So that's that's another shot that I'm taking in the fourth round. I'm avoiding all of these, you know, jag wide receivers like Tyler Scott and, you know, Xavier Hutchinson and Charlie Jones, which sounds like a uh, Madden uh, automated player. So, yeah. Uh, anyone else you like in the fourth? Yeah. Um, first, Evan Hall is interesting. I always like when 
teams take a backup running back that fits perfectly behind their starter. Yeah. It gives them that seamless transition should anybody go down. It mm-hmm. also makes them not have to change their offense up to to put the backup in. That being said, like I don't see much upside. Like I Evan Hall wasn't a guy I graded particularly well. Um I think he's kind of a plotter. But you know. I, I I agree with you. I just I mean, he's going at pick 46 right now. So And then and then Dorian Thompson Robinson. Uh did I say that right? Thompson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two things. Um, I'm surprised he fell as far in the NFL draft as he did. Me too. Uh, second thing, I hate him. Oh, like as a person or as a football player? As a person. <laughs> All right. He, he was going to be a Michigan Wolverine. Oh, I. so you, you follow recruiting a lot more than I do. Um, so he, 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 was he going to be playing over Joe Milton or whatever crappy guy that we threw out? We, we went all in on recruiting him. And then he left us at the altar, went to UCLA, and we pretty much had to scramble to pretty much have a dead quarterback recruiting cycle. That um, Is that how we ended up with Cade? Because if, if, if I had to watch two seasons yeah. of Cade McNamara because of Dorian Thompson Robinson, I, I think I, I hate him as well now. Yeah, take him off your board. <laughs> yeah, he's off my board. To, to be honest, I didn't scout him specifically, but I watched a ton of Zach Charbonnet, so I saw some of him. Yeah. And I just like the athleticism and the potential upside being he, the backup. He was definitely a fun, fun player to watch. But um, yeah. fourth round, I mean, sometimes this guy goes in the third round. Uh, pretty impressive for a, an undrafted free agent and. That's my boy, Sean Tucker. Um, yeah. I'm sure he was not pleased with uh, his undrafted free agent status, but I think it's pretty clear here that something beyond football is going on with Sean Tucker, and it's it, not his character. It's, it's, a hard, it's, a hard, it's a hard condition. Right. And, like, this guy, he tested incredibly well at his pro day. He's got production for days. His tape, I mean, this guy probably would have went over. He probably would have been a second-round pick in this draft, uh, maybe I, I, third. I, I, it's, 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 sim- it's weird because my fourth and fifth-ranked running backs were Zach Evans and Sean Tucker, and they went at the end of the sixth round and undrafted. So I, mean, I, I, ag- I agree. It was a medical issue that pushed him down. I think it, it's okay to take a shot at Sean Tucker, but more than likely he's not going to make an NFL team. I'm not sure he could pass an NFL medical and hopefully so, he does. Like, I'm, I'm hoping for the best. So here's the thing. There's a guy that comes to mind, another Michigan Wolverine. M- was going to be a first-round pick, dropped to the fifth. Yeah, uh, Mo it's Mohurst. He's become a pretty good NFL player. Yeah. Um, we don't know what the deal with, is with Sean Tucker. He was cleared, apparently, by his doctors to do his pro day and go to the NFL. There's been speculation that he can never play again. We don't know. But yep. I I think going to the Bucks, I mean, Rashad White was not good. Yeah, no, and it's a great landing spot. The opportunity is there and they don't have a backup. So he the, he could win yeah. that backup job and get an opportunity. He could win the starting job. So like that's yeah. the thing. If he's cleared to go, he could outperform. Rashad White, and then you're talking about a second, third round rookie running back talent on the Bucks offense. Like that's a pretty attractive piece that you're getting in the fourth round. I get it. You might be wasting a fourth round pick. He might never play. He might never play football again. 
That's but the it's reality. A, it's a fourth round pick though. Exactly. So odds are, odds are you're wasting if, it anyways. If you're chasing upside, are you going to go with a guy like Evan Hull, who's your cuff? Dorian Thompson Robinson, who's never going to play unless Sean Watson gets injured, or are you going to play the guy who might never play football, but could be a starting running back as soon as this year. I agree with you there. The one thing that I would say is that Sean Tucker is currently going about a round ahead of those other guys, but I, I agree. You're right. And I, if he's falling to 402, 403, yep. I'm happy taking Sean Tucker there. The last guy I want to mention, I know we're going a little bit long, is Tucker Craft. Um, very productive tight end, drafted in the third round of Green Bay. Listen, Luke Musgrave, who we haven't talked about at all, Green Bay drafted in the second round. He has no production profile. I think he had like 45 catches in his career in college. We don't know who's going to win the starting job. Tucker Craft is probably more ready than Luke Musgrave, and I could see him being the starter. He's currently going at pick 36. I think that's an absolute steal, and that's another player I'd be targeting in that range. Um, Any final thoughts before we sign off? Yeah, one. The one guy, the one elite prospect we haven't talked about is Jackson Smith Nijigba. Oh, yeah. And I just want to say this. It's very interesting to me that before the draft, people were writing off DK Metcalf as worth less than the top six picks. Now the sixth pick has landed in Seattle and nobody is taking Jackson Smith Nijigba over DK Metcalf. And I just want to say, sometimes you have to realize what you have and that the shiny new toy isn't necessarily the best thing. If, if in the future you picture one player coming to a certain team with another player and you would take that other player that's been there before over the guy that's coming in, don't rank the new guy higher. Simple as that. Um, Jackson Smith Najigba, I think, will be just fine. I think he complements DK very well. I think people are worried about the landing spot and shouldn't be because this is a guy who's got ridiculous body control, ridiculous change of direction. He can be a target hog even with DK Metcalf there. Um, I have DK Metcalf higher, but I am comfortably taking Jackson with Smith Nijigba, pick six, a full tier over Quinton Johnson and the rest of them. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would like to echo all of that. I mean, I have him 10 tiers above Quentin Johnston. When you look at what my startup ranks, which are actually going to be released today, uh, another plug for my Patreon, check it out. Um, I'm going to have Jackson Smith, the Jigba, probably two or three rounds above Quentin Johnston in terms of my startup rankings. I'm not worried about the landing spot at all. Listen, Jackson Smith, the Jigba set the record for the three cone drill. He set the record for the shuttle drill. He is an absolute animal. Okay. I am not worried about DK Metcalf. I think he's better than DK Metcalf. I'm not worried about Tyler Lockett. Who's probably going to be cut after the season. Otherwise he's got a $24 million cap hit. Either way, Jackson put the jig, is going to see the field. He's going to have production. I actually have him projected. Let me pull this up real quickly. I have Jackson Smith projected for 87 catches for 1100 yards and seven touchdowns in his rookie season. That's only on a 22% target share, which is not that high. That would put him as the wide receiver 19 if people are down on him at all at the 106 and you can get the 106 cheaper than you think, if you can trade the 108 in a late second or even a mid second, I'd be more than thrilled to do that to get Jackson Smith the Jigba. I'm going to try and get some of him today. I don't know how well it will go. Yeah, um, me too. And I'm also a little worried because I have a ton of Metcalf and I don't want to pair both of them on the same team. I get that. But, uh, 
you know, like I really like him. He's he's smooth, man. Uh, so so smooth. I mean, the agility drills uh, really tell the whole story. All right, so uh, our hour podcast has turned into a hundred minute podcast, as it usually does uh, when you and I chop it up. Uh, but it was awesome to have you on. Uh, I miss podding with you, man. We uh, we're we got we got to have some conversations about what's going on with the Trading Table podcast and whether we can uh, supplement uh, supplement the Dynasty Zoltan podcast with the Trading Table as well, or figure out how that's going to work out. Um, in the meantime. Tell all my listeners, if they don't know you by now, I don't know where they've been, but where can we find all of uh, your great analysis? Uh, I'm not really an analyst. I'm just a guy who loves football and probably knows it better than your favorite Twitter analyst. You can find me at Dynasty Jacobian on Twitter. Yeah, definitely make sure to check Jacobian out. I think he's being humble. Uh, He's not an analyst because he doesn't get paid, but he certainly puts in as much time as any analyst that I know. Uh, thank you to everyone for listening to the Dynasty Zoltan podcast. Good luck in all of your fantasy drafts. Uh, you obviously know where to find all my work, so I'm not going to plug it again. Uh, and we'll be back with another episode of the DZ podcast. It might be a little bit of a break. We might be coming back to you next Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, I have a trip planned for this weekend where I'm going to be a little bit out of service, but uh, I'll be back to you before too long. But-